0: get to chapter 5 of the book of Romans let me tell you this okay? when it it comes to the nature of of the book of Romans here's what you need to know Romans is a book that repeatedly changes the world by changing people it really is it's just the nature of the book and I know you can think you're like 20 seconds in and you already got the hyperbole wrong okay but but here I really want to show you this okay cuz they can come across like that but but this reality can be seen throughout throughout history okay the the pastor theologian Timothy Keller he demonstrated the the world-changing effects by of what Romans does in the, the lives of people by doing this beautiful historical work by looking at people who were impacted by this book, all right, and I, I want to show you some of this, okay, with the with the hopes, guys, to encourage us to, that we need to take our, our study of the the book of Romans seriously, all right. And so, one of the men that uh, Romans changed was was a man named uh, John Stock. He was an English pastor, all right. And, and you may or may not know of him, but but you you most certainly have have benefited from him being here at Doxa because this man's ministry, his legacy, and his commitment to preaching has had a tremendous impact on the church throughout the world through the 20th century. All right? And Stott, as it relates to Romans in his life, this is what he wrote. It'll come up here on the screen. Stott says, I have a love-hate relationship with Romans because of its joyful, painful, personal challenges. It was Paul's devastating exposure of universal sin and guilt in Romans 118 through 320 which rescued me from that kind of superficial preaching which is preoccupied only with people's felt needs. That for Stott, Romans shifted his entire worldview to the truth of the gospel. And he was a man whom God used to, to really bring about a resurgence of biblical centrality in the church, which has ultimately shaped us and really, as you've been gathering as docs of church, it's impacted every single one of us. Now, in addition to, to Stott, Romans changed another man who radically transformed the church and as a result, really changed the world. All right? Martin Luther was a, was a German monk. All right, who, who had been taught throughout his life, maybe like some of you, that, that God required him to, to live a righteous life in order to inherit his love, his salvation, and really eternity in heaven. And so if you were to go and to read some of Luther's work and his life account, you would see that he grew to almost just hate God. He grew to hate God because he viewed God as requiring him to do something that he was incapable of doing and then leaving him alone to just fail. But in the midst of this growing hatred, Luther read Romans 1.17, which says that the gospel gives us righteousness not by anything that we do, but by faith in Jesus alone. And here's what he wrote of his experience in Romans. Take a look. Luther says, I labored diligently and anxiously as to how to understand Paul's words. Although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner. Then I grasped That the righteousness of God is that righteousness by which, through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us by faith. Thereupon, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. I broke through. That Romans opened up Luther's eyes in a way that he understood the grace and the mercy of God, which led to his personal salvation, but not only his personal salvation, but it spilled out into resulting in the recovery of the gospel in Germany and really throughout Europe, which ultimately led to the Protestant Reformation, which has undeniably changed and shifted the world even so much to us here. Billions of people around the world have been impacted by what God did through Martin Luther's life. Now, another towering figure in church history was a man named John Wesley. And Wesley, if you've heard of him, he was a pastor, theologian, but along with some of his friends that studied at Oxford, they formed a, a, a little group which was given the nickname the Holy Club. Okay? And I don't know, they obviously didn't give. Too much thought to that it's kind of weird but right the the holy club what they would do is they would they would gather they would commit themselves to to sacred studies to self-examination to to religious and philanthropic activities all with the hope i want you to hear this everything that they did was with the hope that they would win their salvation by doing good works But on May 24th, 1738, Wesley reluctantly attended a church service in in London where the book of Romans was being preached. And here is what he wrote in his journal that night after he heard this sermon in Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for salvation. And an assurance was given to me, that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Guys, the point is this. Romans helps us to see and understand Jesus, which changes everything. And honestly, I could stand up here and talk about so many others, but here is what you need to know. Guys, God used the book of Romans to bring the faith the people who in many ways have had the greatest influence on the church since the Apostle Paul himself who wrote the book of Romans. But the natural question as we hear all this is, is what is it about Romans that makes it so powerful, That has proved to, to be so life-changing and history-shaping? It's this, because Romans is about the gospel. And here's why this is important for you, because we, we need to take our study of Romans seriously. Because this could in fact, like for Paul and for all these people I just mentioned, change everything about you, your eternity, your legacy, your family, and the world around you. That Romans is emphatically powerful for us today. And this reality is why Paul, as he writes this letter to teach us gospel doctrine, he states in Romans 1:16 the thesis statement of this whole book, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. That Paul, he he dramatically states, I'm not ashamed because I know that God changes people and he will change the world through the gospel. And as Paul experienced this power of the gospel, guys, it it changed the course of his life, it changed the history of the world, and it ultimately led to an explosive life of joy within this man. And as we look at the first five verses of chapter five today, guys, here's what we're going to see. Paul is going to kind of transition from sharing our need for the gospel to giving us some of the great benefits of the gospel. And as we get into this, guys, I really believe that every single one of us, as we hear the benefits of the gospel, we're going to have our capacity for joy and for confidence and for hope increased in a way that, hear this, that we will not be able to walk out of here the same. This is what Romans can and will do. So let's read some of these great gospel benefits. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 is where we're going to start. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we, also, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So, three of the great benefits that the gospel gives us is what we're going to look at today. The first is this. The gospel gives us peace. I want you to write peace in the margin next to verses 1 through 5. The gospel gives us peace. Verse 1 again, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what are we talking about when we are talking about peace with God? All right, Paul is, is, is talking about the objective peace that we have through being justified and reconciled to God through faith. That whether we realize it or not, guys, before we come to Jesus in faith, we did not have the faintest possibility of having real, inward, lasting peace because of sin in every single one of our lives. In chapters 1 through 4 of Romans, if you read it this week before Connection Group, Paul states it candidly, that there is a war between God and humanity because of sin that is in all of our lives and it's in the world. And sin is, guys, this this universal problem that we all have. That even the best people, even the most Christian among us, we are still all totally wrecked and totally broken because of sin. That no one is sinless. All right, you can Google sinless. You're not going to find any people. You're going to find some dessert recipes and like a strip club in Texas. Okay, nothing else. That's it. There is no one that's sinless. We're all sinful people. And because of this, We exist separated from God. This might not seem like a big deal, all right, to to some of you, to live and navigate your life and just have the thought of being separated from God right now. But this becomes a very big deal when we reach the end of our life and we will all, in fact, die. And we will stand before God. And if that sin hasn't been fixed, this is where we get into the the conscious terrible reality of eternal separation from God, the complete absence of God, the complete absence of goodness, which is just the terrible reality of hell. And Paul says that in the midst of, of this terrible news, there's actually really, really good news and great news of peace. And guys, this good news, you need to know it's not a new book release that promises to give you your best life now. It's not some new, you know, psychological endeavor of of behavior modification, but it's a man. The good news for all people is through the man, Jesus. And Paul writes in Colossians 1.20 that, that God made peace through the blood of Jesus on the cross, that on the cross... The wrath of God was spent on Jesus. And for everyone who repents and believes, we are justified in his sight, and the war between us and God because of sin is now over. And we have this this awesome peace. This is where we exist. And this peace that Paul is talking about, guys, hear this. It's not a subjective feeling, but it's an objective fact. That if you have turned from your sin, and you have turned to Jesus in faith, I want you to understand, it doesn't really matter how you feel about your standing with God in a given moment, because you, in fact, have peace before him for eternity, and this peace is an outside of us peace that has an inside of us result. This is a peace that that comes in and lifts the the weight of guilt, that lifts the weight of sin to the extent that you just feel rest and joy and it brings like a quietness to your soul. It's like standing outside in the morning when the sun is rising and you just don't hear anything and it's perfectly calm. That type of peace, this is what God brings through Jesus. That everything is okay, that the sin issue in all of our life, it's, it's taken care of. It brings that peace. And if you're a Christian I know we're not an amen type of church, but if we were, this is where you'd be like, amen, I get it, right? But this is what, you know what I'm talking about. You've experienced this peace. There's nothing like the peace of God. It's the peace that surpasses all understanding, and it's the root cause of our joy. Now, look back to this. Look at the wording that Paul uses here. He says that we have peace with God. It's a present reality that we get to live in and enjoy. And I want you to understand this, that, that there are some things as Christians that we wait for, like the restoration of all things, where, where God will eradicate evil and, and suffering and sickness, and as Revelation four puts it, he'll, he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. Like, we wait for that. We're experiencing some level of that, but we're waiting for that future glory to be enjoyed for eternity. Peace is not like that. Peace is something that we get to enjoy right now. And when we really begin to understand the peace that we have with God, because we stop trying to earn his approval because we know we already have it. When we begin to understand the peace of God, we move from living like a slave to what others think about us to resting in what God has already said about us on the cross. The kind of peace with God, it, this, this frees us, where we're no longer trying to prove ourselves, because there's nothing left to do. You don't need to prove yourself, because Jesus has already done everything for you. It's about him, and what he says matters most, and we can stand in this peace knowing that God, his, his love for us, his pleasure with us, his salvation for us, are standing before God, it depends not on what we do, but what Jesus has done for us. And I want you to know, guys, it's not a momentary peace that we experience from the pardon of our sin. All right, You don't just say the sinner's prayer and you're like, wow, that was peaceful. And then you move on to total chaos for the rest of your life. right? And a lot of us, maybe we laugh because it's like, yeah, that's about, I feel that. But I want you to know that this peace, God intends us to have an ongoing peace for the rest of our life, every single day of our life to walk in this with him. And I'll be honest, guys, as, I've been, as I was thinking about this this week, this, this experience of, of ongoing peace took me some time to understand and to really live in because I understand and I, underst- I st- understood that, that God took my sin and he saved my life and that brought like a certain level of peace, but my view of God was just kind of twisted and it took time to to really move from my head to my heart i've heard it said you maybe have heard this said that the longest distance in the world is 18 inches from your head to your heart that there's some of us that we understand like theological constructs like intellectually and they live up here but they haven't really moved to your heart where it's affected the way that you live and actually navigate through life and it took some time but for me growing up i really never heard my dad say that i was good enough that my dad, along with being my dad, he was also my, my coach and my trainer. And as he trained me for athletics, he would always say to this is kind of the mantra that I that I grew up with. He would look at me and say, Rob, somewhere out there, there's someone who's working harder than you. And when you meet them, they're gonna beat you. And I believed him. And so I was always striving and I was always working hard, like no one worked hard, I was always going. And I kept going, not just to win on the field, but ultimately I wanted to win my dad's approval because I kept hearing, keep going, keep striving, keep working, keep working hard. In one day, you're going to be good enough. Now, the incredibly sad part of this is when my dad died my senior year in high school and I was left never hearing from my dad that I was good enough. And I carried that with me for years, carried it up on the stage always trying to prove myself, and just to hear those words, you're enough, and I love you, and even when I became a Christian, guys, I, I carried with this with me, and I projected my experience with my dad on my ongoing relationship with God, thinking that I needed to do something more to continue to earn God's love and affection, which would ultimately give me what I really wanted, Peace. And I remember even having this thought as a young pastor and the weight of this burden and my lack of understanding of the gospel of peace. It just crushed me. I couldn't stand anymore. I almost left ministry, just kind of tapped out, bowed out. But God, in his goodness, through the encouragement of my wife, gave me an incredibly godly woman who was a counselor. Her name was Tammy, and God used her to change the entire trajectory of my life. And in my times meeting with her, one day she I remember she looked at me with, with tears in her eyes, and I can still like feel the weight of it. She just said, Rob, do you know that you could do nothing and produce nothing for the rest of your life, and God still would love you? And he doesn't just love you, but he sees you, and you're enough, and it's not that you're enough because of anything that you do, but you're enough because of what Jesus has done for you. And I remember sitting there, and that truth traveled from my head to my heart. I mean, I had a theology degree, I knew this intellectually, but it moved from my head to my heart, and I just sat there and wept for what seemed to be hours and as that truth landed it changed me and began to set me free peace jesus gives us peace gives us peace from sin peace from working for love peace from striving from earning and uncertainty and guys it's amazing and so i'll ask you this do you know that peace Have you been justified? As Paul, he says that this is the prerequisite of getting that peace. Have you come to Jesus? If you're thinking about that question, here's here's a question that you can ask yourself to help you answer that. Because what are you trusting in to get to heaven? What are you trusting in for purpose and meaning in your life? And if the answer is anything but Jesus, guys, this is a time for you just to Stop. And ask God to open up your eyes because he is the only one that can give you that peace. It's a time to come to Jesus, to find forgiveness in love, in joy, and ultimately peace to give quietness to your soul. It's a time to come to him. And for those of you who have been justified by faith, you're following Jesus, I'd ask you this, is guys, where do you need that peace the most today? What type of storm are you navigating in your life? What type of relational thing are you going through that's just crushing you? What type of weight is just on your back and on your shoulder right now that's just holding you down that you could barely get up in the morning, you can barely go to sleep at night? What is that thing that you need peace? I want you to know this, guys. It's available to you. Put it before God and ask him for it. And guys, I can say without hesitation that he will meet you there and he will give you that peace. Now, that's very audacious of me to say, how do I know for certain that God will meet you and give you peace? It's because of what Paul says is another great benefit of the gospel that Jesus gives, that in addition to peace, the gospel gives us access, write access down in the margin. He gives us access, verse two, Through him, Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Guys, and that word obtained here means that we've already taken hold of it. That it's not like our work bonuses, right? That you you think of like, man, have I done enough? Am I gonna get that bonus? Like, have I worked hard? Is Is it coming to me? It's not like that. There's so many things in our world that we don't have certainty of. But the gospel in the gospel, God makes sure that we receive it. Paul says that we have obtained access to God, that we have it right now. And I need you to understand, like, you know, you, if you've grown up in the church, you've you've heard this, your your grandma had a doily that had this, re, whatever, written on it, okay, whatever, right? But we hear, like, access to God, and we're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You gotta understand how radical this would have been to the ears of the original audience. All right, see, in the Old Testament, to the concept of having access, full access to God would have been something that was just completely crazy you would never even think it would be achievable that if you look to the old testament into the tabernacle into the temple when it was being pl- built as a as a place where god would meet with his people there were strict boundaries gentiles non-jews couldn't even go inside like they had to stay outside of the temple And even the priests, when they could go into the most holy of holies and meet with God, there were very strict guidelines. There were very strict rules of how this can happen and even strict days of when this could happen. Or they would die. Access to God was not something that people would be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But what Paul is saying here is that it's no longer like that. That with Jesus, we have 100% access to God at all times with no restrictions. And if you read the New Testament, you see this just reinforced all throughout it in Hebrews. The author of Hebrews says in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, that we can approach the throne of grace, the throne of God, boldly to find mercy in grace in peace. Even more, do you remember when Jesus was killed and he died on the cross? Do you remember what happened? In Matthew 27, the veil of the temple that separated God from humanity... The veil of the temple, as Jesus died, was ripped in two from top to bottom, demonstrating to us what Paul is saying here, that Jesus gives us access to God. And so let me bring this to be really practical for you. Knowing that we have access to God by faith, what do you need to talk with him about? Because God is, is not just like this distant being or deity that is a million miles away from you. He's a loving father of all the ways that God reveals himself in the Bible. He chooses to do so as father. He's a father that invites you, just like you invite a little kid, to crawl up on your lap as a dad, to talk, to receive love and grace and mercy and help. And so what are you anxious about? Because what are you struggling with? What do you need help getting through? Guys, you can go to God. Jesus gives you that ability. You have access to him. And Paul says, look back, it's by grace. And when I think about grace, guys, grace is is God's love coming to us, undeserved, unsought and unsolicited. It's God pursuing us. And when he finds us, he grabs us, and he never lets us go. He never leaves us. John 10, speaking of you cannot be ripped out of his hand, he's got you in his grace. And grace, guys, is what the Bible is all about. You need to know this. The Bible is actually bookended with grace. The whole Bible is about God. It starts with grace, and it ends with grace. In Genesis chapter 1, first verse of the Bible in the beginning, God. Now, who is that God? His name is Jesus, and he's filled with grace and truth, as we see in John chapter 1. If you, if you fast forward all the way through the very last chapter, the very last verse of the Bible, Revelation twenty-two twenty-one ends with saying this, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. The grace of God is is what it's all about and what we're meant to live in. And when we experience God's grace, you'll notice at the end of of verse 2 in chapter 5, look, Paul says that this causes us to stand and to rejoice. And and this idea of of standing, guys, is this idea of, of permanence, that through Jesus that we can stand in confidence of our standing with God of our salvation. We can be assured that that it's through faith alone, by grace alone, in Jesus alone, that we stand assured of our salvation and our eternity with him. And here, guys, this is why this is so significant, because some of you, you are so unsure of your standing with God. You walk in to Doxa every single week. You go about your day. You can't sleep at night because you do not know where you stand with God, and you wonder, have I messed up too much? Is God just going to bail on me? You need to know that if you are in Christ, you can stand with permanence, knowing that your salvation is, is assured. You don't have to wonder, you don't have to worry that God, he, Jesus has given you access to the Father, now and for eternity. And so you don't have to worry about your salvation. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you are His. It's not about you and you living perfect, it's about Him. In him grabbing you because of his grace. And as a result of this, Paul says this truth leads us to rejoice. Guys, because we have an eternal hope in a future that we stand in and we wait for. And, and guys, this is what sets Christianity, one of the things that sets Christianity apart from the rest of the world. Because consider this, when you look at the Eastern religions, They don't rejoice in in a hopeful future because they have an endless nightmare of reincarnation. Existentialism doesn't lend to rejoicing because it thinks about the future and considers it just pointless and absurd. Evolution, likewise, gives no hope and no cause to rejoice, but we rejoice in what? The future of the glory of God because we know that we have it, we're standing in it, we've obtained access and we're waiting for it. And we can rejoice. The gospel has given us access to God. And we have confidence in our glorious future because of Jesus. He gave us everything. So the gospel gives us peace. The gospel gives us access. Now here is the third benefit of the gospel that Paul gives us here. The gospel gives us perspective. Okay? And what Paul is about to share in verses 3 through 5 is really weird and I'll say, I'll clarify that. It's really weird to a world that doesn't know Jesus. Look at this. We need gospel perspective to even understand this. Verse 3. Not only that, not, all, not just all the benefits, right? That you have peace and access and hope and glory. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Here's the reality, guys. Life is just complex. And because of sin in the world, it involves pain as much as it does pleasure. And when life is up, we can can just enjoy and just savor the great benefits, and we have that. But when things are down and we're in pain and we're suffering and we're in trouble, what difference does the gospel make then? That's the question. Paul says, the gospel makes every difference. And he doesn't say, look back at the wording, he doesn't say that we rejoice for our suffering because that would be masochism. Right, the, the sickness of, of finding pleasure in pain. But Paul says we rejoice in our suffering. And that means that there's no joy in the troubles and the pain themselves that we go through because God hates that pain. God hates that trouble that sin has caused in all of our lives. But rather, Christians know that suffering will in fact have a beneficial result. Timothy Keller says it like this. It's going to come up on the screen. He says a Christian is not a stoic who faces suffering by just gritting their teeth. A Christian looks through the suffering to their certainties. They rest in the truth that God uses suffering to produce something. It's a perspective shift that the gospel only can bring. And guys, the word he uses here, Paul uses here for suffering, it's it's not talking about specifically the daily troubles that we all experience, although it definitely applies to them. All right, but the word that he uses here is talking about the inevitable troubles that come from being a Christian as it relates to persecution. And as Paul is, is writing this letter to the, the Christians in Rome, they were experiencing levels of persecution for their faith, and they were suffering. And they were starting to think, man, is God against us? Like, what is this about? Is, is God against us? Why are we suffering like this? I thought all these benefits were, were mine. Like, life is supposed to be easy. Why is God doing this? And even today, when we suffer and go through hard times, many people ask that same question. You get your teeth kicked in by life. And you ask the question, why is God doing this to me? Why doesn't God love me? Why is he against me? But Paul is saying, guys, those aren't the right questions. That God isn't against you. But as a kid, his kid through faith, he's actually for you. And this is the perspective that we need to have and we need to keep because suffering will either, hear this guys, suffering in your life is either going to build you or it's going to break you. There is no in between. It's either going to build you or break you. And it depends on your perspective. And Paul says, for those who have been justified by grace, who are walking with who are walking life with with Jesus, that when you suffer, it starts a chain reaction that leads to hope. Look at verse 3. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And so first, suffering produces endurance. Endurance just literally just carries this idea of of patience and and focus and the ability to continue moving forward towards a goal in the face of strong opposition, in the face of, of trials, That even in the midst of hard times, we don't lay down. You don't need to lay down and die and hide because we know, as Paul mentioned in verse 2, that glory is coming. It's coming and we're standing in it. We have something to look forward to. There is a future hope. It's not the here and now. That the stuff that we're feeling right now is someday going to be wiped out and we're going to be in glory. And that gives us patience and hope and endurance. And endurance, look, gives way to a new way of living. It produces character and the word character literally means proof. And this word was, was used to, to talk about the testing of, of precious metals and to see and to demonstrate their, their purity. And so the way that we can think about this is that we should think about precious metal like silver or gold being put into a crucible and then being exposed to extreme heat in terms of it starts to melt. And as that melts, the impurities rise to the top and then they wipe off the impurities and they're left with pure gold. It's character. This is why James, Jesus' little brother, can say in James 1.12, listen to this, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, under pressure, under persecution, under, under suffering. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. That God uses our suffering to build us, not break us. He's working, he's building us into gospel people who look like Jesus. Guys, you need to know this, that this is God's primary objective in your life, to make you like Jesus. Paul's gonna say this later on in Romans 8, verse 29, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. This is his objective. He wants you to be and look like Jesus. It's not so much about fixing all of your problems, but it's making you into the right type of person that can navigate through your problems with endurance and character, that God is doing something good. And this endurance and this character ultimately produces unshakable hope. And this word hope, guys, it's not like the hope that we use, all right? Like I'm even thinking now, I I hope Greenbush has some leftover like cream filled donuts on my way home. Like I really hope that that happens, right? It's not hope like that, all right? This word hope is a word of absolute certainty. And so when Paul says here that we rejoice in our sufferings, it's because we know with certainty that God is doing something and that our suffering is serving in some way to make us more like Jesus. And so in your suffering, you don't need to know exactly what God is doing. You just need to know with the right perspective that God is, in fact, doing something to help you more like, be more like Jesus and to prepare you for heaven. So guys, that persecution that you're experiencing in your workplace, and your neighborhood, know that God is using that to grow you to be an oak tree. Not a weed in your faith that can just be plucked out, but an oak tree that can stand even stronger trials as they come. That as you're going through relational hardships, he's sanding off the rough edges of your life to make you more like Jesus. He's working on your character in the midst of you fighting sin. He's making you pure as you try and throw off sin and run towards Jesus. Because sometimes God allows things that he hates to happen in order to bring about what he loves. To make you more like him. And we can trust him. Know that, guys. We can trust him. Why? Why can we trust him? Verse 5. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So how do we know all of these great gospel benefits are true in our life? Paul says it's the love of God. And he uses the language that the love of God has been poured out. It's not like there's just like a, a sprinkling of God's love. It's like this picture of of just a a fountain that never stops and it's just pouring out water and it fills everything, it gets over everything and everyone. This is what it's doing. He's saying that God's love has been poured out to that extent and as the Bible does, it always goes back to Jesus. That to prove that God is for us and he gives us peace and access and hope, even in the midst of suffering, because if you're doing, if you're in suffering and you're, you're going through it, you're getting your teeth kicked in, and you can't, you don't have your Bible, you don't have a, a good TED talk, you don't have, right, your verses memorized, or anything like that, you're devo- you don't need to know anything but one thing. Look to one place, Calvary. Look to the cross. Here's what you need to know. The essence of loving is giving. And God has given us everything through Jesus on the cross. Forgiveness, salvation, peace, heaven, assurance, joy, access, His Holy he, The list goes on, He gives us. If you, wanna, if you wanna go home and read something, go home and read Ephesians chapter one and see all the great blessings that Jesus gives. It's love. Love that proves all of this. To wrap up, look at Romans chapter 8. It'll be up here on the screen. Romans chapter 8, verse 31, puts it beautifully. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he, not also with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Guys, if you ever doubt, and you will, that there's going to be moments of your life of great, great faith, strong faith, where you're not going to doubt anything, and then there's going to be these dark nights of the soul in these valleys of the shadow of death where you're going to have doubts, and you're going to wonder, is God for me? Is God with me? Does God love me? whenever you're experiencing that and you're doubting these great gospel benefits, remember one thing. God did not spare his son, that Jesus died for you. And let that truth that God, he died for you in the midst of your sin and your rebellion, that you in fact killed him with your sin, let that truth that he gladly saw you in love and he died for you, let that give you confidence, let that stir your joy, let that let you stand in assurance that all of this is true because he loves you. And guys, really the application of this, you know what the application of this? is to let the Bible transform your mind. Let the Bible rewire your thinking that you begin to know and believe this to be true because this will change everything about you. This will make you into a gospel person. It will make you like Jesus. It will give you an explosive life of joy. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. This is not for everybody. These great gospel benefits are for those who are in Christ, who, as Paul says, are justified. And so I want you to know, if you're sitting here and you have not taken a step towards Jesus all of this that I just shared is out there and it's for you, but you have not obtained it. You are not standing in it. You're like at the storefront looking in, wanting it, desiring it, almost touching it, but you can't quite get it. And the beautiful thing is, is Jesus is here and he's meeting you in this moment and saying, just come to me and just ask. Give me your sin. I will give you the world, everything. And so today is the day where you could step into this glory, this joy, and come to know Jesus. And if that's you and you feel God stirring in your heart, man, during this last worship set, grab the person you came with and just go outside and let them tell you about Jesus and lead you to Jesus. If you don't have any friends here, I'd love to be your friend. Come find me somewhere, right? Come find Ronnie. We would love to lead you to Jesus because this is what it's all about and you can have all of this. The benefits of the gospel are great because Jesus is great. Let me pray. God, thanks for, man, thanks for your word that you remind us even in the midst of, of navigating through a, a chaotic world and sometimes even because of the sin that, remains in me, I can even just become numb to the great benefits of the gospel that you give, Jesus. So thanks for breaking in. Thanks for showing us a a glimpse of your love. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that that the words that that you just released through your your scriptures, that you would just cause them to land on us in a powerful way, that as we sing these songs, that it starts to move, these truths start to move from our head to our heart and you would do something in us and with us and through us to make us more like Jesus. And so if we need to come to you to find faith in all of these benefits, would you allow that to happen? For those of us who are following you, would you just let this encourage us and push us forward? We thank you that you can and we know that you will. In Jesus' name, amen.